The Dudes of Kung Fu podcast is brought to you by Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Wing Chun Illustrated is the premier publication for Wing Chun. Published six times a year, Wing Chun Illustrated is a perfect bound, full-color, glossy publication. Each 60-page issue comes packed with in-depth content and feature stories by and about the world's greatest exponents of Wing Chun, regardless of lineage or style. Wing Chun Illustrated has featured people like Imin Bostepe, Philip Bayer, Yip Chun, Gary Lam, Donald Mack, Samuel Kwok, David Peterson, Chan Chi Man, Mark Phillips, Wan Kam Leung, Sam Lau, Robert Chu, Sifu Sergio, Victor Ken, and many, many more. There are two ways you can enjoy this fantastic publication. Go to wingchunillustrated.com and order the magazine as a print-on-demand. The print quality is simply amazing. Or download the Magster app and get a subscription. That's Magster, M-A-G-Z-T-E-R. This way, when the new issue hits the stands, you'll automatically receive it as a download onto your smart device for offline reading. In fact, with your new Magster account, you can access the magazine on multiple devices, iOS, Android, Kindle Fire, and web browser. To make the deal even sweeter, listeners of the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast can use the coupon code DUDES to get a six-month complimentary digital subscription. That coupon code is DUDES, typed in all capital letters. Go to Magster, again M-A-G-Z-T-E-R, to register, add the six-month subscription to the cart, and apply the coupon code at checkout. The Dudes of Kung Fu love Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. The uh, two main focuses of this week, we Alex and I talk about um, reality-based self-defense instructors, and that that part there may ruffle a couple of feathers or not, but um, we think we made some good points on it. And the other part is we talk about uh, non-contact chisao, or as Alex calls it, air chisao, and I think that is a great conversation that uh, all Wing Chun and Jeet Kune Do people will appreciate. So sit back and have a good time, folks. of Kung Fu. Please welcome your host, Alex Richter and Big Sean Madigan. Hey Alex, how are you brother? Good man, good. It's good to uh, see you and hear your voice again, man. Well, I can say it's good to hear your voice. Seeing you, eh, not so much, but you know. <laughs> yeah, this is our first episode since uh, I did my world tour, and uh, we have a, apparently a missing episode from before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we, we played the new game. You know, where in the world is Alex Richter, right? Yes, so. yes, yes. You know, it was funny because our last episode, which has now become some kind of missing episode, um, didn't come out yet. I thought in the back of my mind that you forgot to hit record again like you did way back in the day. And you just didn't want to say anything because I'm thinking like, you know, I check my phone just like the fans because here's the thing. Our Patreon supporters, they get the episodes early, but I'm I'm not on Patreon. I don't get that episode early. So actually our Patreon supporters get the episodes before I even hear it. And then so I'm always looking at like my iPhone waiting for the new dudes of Kung Fu to hit because I want to <laughs> I want to hear how the episode turned out because it's one thing when we do it. But, you know, the episode when you listen to it, it's different. Right. So and then I thought, oh, my God, did Sean forget to hit record again? And we got enough. <laughs> And he, and he doesn't want to say anything. <laughs> no, so what happened was even worse is I uh, we recorded the episode and then my laptop f- crashed. And I had to bring it in to get serviced. And while getting serviced, they wiped the laptop. Damn. And so it's literally, I think, I think we're going to find it. We're trying to find it in the laptop. But, uh, you know, 
when we get it, we'll release it as the lost episode. <laughs> but um, it's uh, it, it wasn't. It was just a matter of me having an, an older laptop, an older Apple laptop, and uh, eventually having to get a new one. Right. So it's been now. I have to say, it's been well over. Uh, it's been almost two months, right? Since, Has it been that long? Yeah, Jeez, because that's not, I went, let's not remind people. Okay? I, I went. I went to Hong Kong at the beginning of August. And we recorded that last missing secret podcast uh, shortly before I left for Hong Kong. And then I was in Hong Kong for two weeks. I came back for a couple of days and I went to Germany for another two weeks. So I was gone for the entire month of August. And now here we are at the end of September <laughs> recording right, the next right, right. episode. <laughs> well, it's good to have you back. It's good to be back. Um, you know, we, we everybody should know that we absolutely love doing this. And uh, we're excited to be back in back in the flow of things we're we'll be here for a while recording weekly again and and it's and it's all good how was your trip my trip was awesome so i mean both the hong kong and the uh, germany trip were really fantastic um the hong kong trip was really uh really a lot of fun as always i i don't think it's possible for me to go to hong kong and not have a great time especially when i go with my students the, this time i brought uh yeah, kind of a small boatload of my students with me to hong kong and uh, we stayed right in the center of Kowloon, like in a very local spot, because I, I um, you know, as I mentioned before on the podcast, Airbnb is totally the way to go in Hong Kong. So I like to just find like a local spot. I used to stay in hotels all the time, but it's just it's a lot more rewarding to kind of just find a regular place, stay there and you kind of live like a local. It's just it gives people a much more awesome. authentic feeling. Yeah, I like it. Um, so this trip was great. Um, you know, I, I taught a bunch of Wing Chun in Hong Kong. I brought the students around to all the, the normal places, the Bruce Lee exhibit, Grandmaster Yip Man's grave, uh, you know, all the various Wing Chun organizations and things like that. And, um, and of course, I had time to spend with uh, Sifu Chan Chi Man again, which is one of, for me, that's worth the entire 16-hour flight going over there is just to see Chan Chi Man. Um, and uh, had a really great time. We, we went out a couple times to eat, and uh, then he and, and it was amazing because the second time we went out to eat, we had all the students there. And what's what's amazing is he's 82 years old, but he has the vibrancy of somebody just even much. I mean, even like a like a 20 year old. It's not like he. It's not like he's vibrant for an 82 year old. He's vibrant for a human being. He's right. he's awesome. animated. He tells stories and. When I'm sitting next to him, he's telling me, you know, about his time learning from Grandmaster Yip Man and and knowing Bruce Lee and uh, William Chung and all those early guys or whatever. And then he'll just turn to me and he'll just grab my arms and start showing me stuff, you know, like that's, in, that's, in, that's in, the best. in like a very kind of very youthful, energetic way. And then he'll he showed me like, you know, how how, you know, he learned the pole pie and how he does like the talk sound, what Yip Man's favorite techniques were in Chi Sao. And, and he's doing it just like. With no pretense, I mean, we're there, all my students are there, and he's just showing it open. It's really fantastic. And then the big treat was after dinner, we were kind of winding down, and then he he kind of looked at me, and he goes, do your students want to come to my house? And, nice. And, and I was like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't. He's like, are you sure? Do you want to ask them? I'm like, I don't need to ask them. They, they, they want to come. <laughs> they want to come, right, exactly. So uh, we, you know, we walked over to uh, to his home, and uh, we spent like two hours there and he continued uh, with stories and demonstrating and showing stuff. And then he uh, 
um, you know, my students got to see all the photos of him on the wall with uh, Grandmaster Yip Man and, and uh, Lok, Lok Yu, uh, the second student of Yip Man. His, uh, uh, Chen Chi Man has his long pole. So, like, my students got to pick up Lok Yu's long pole and then and he's got an original Gusang wooden dummy and they got to, like, play on it. And so, so for them, it's like, you know, it's one thing to visit, like, the Wing Chun Athletic Association, but, like, to go to Chen Chi Man's home and basically hang out with a guy who is a seeing of Bruce Lee is kind of like a big deal. So they were like, they were in seventh heaven. It was really fantastic. And I got a lot of information from uh, Sifu Chan Chi Man this time. You know, sometimes he tells me the same stories he told me before, but I hear it again and it reinforces certain things. And, and he also... Um, Explained a lot of technical stuff about how uh, Yip Man used to teach the Chi Sao program, about how Yip Man used to attack them at random using non-Wing Chun attacks to make sure that they knew how to defend the common attacks like from Choi Le Fat, the other things that they were facing in those days. And how Yip Man was very open and encouraging of them fighting with the other martial arts styles so that they could test it like in a laboratory. He, he actually openly encouraged them to fight with the other styles so that they could figure out what worked and what didn't. And he also would occasionally secretly pretend, well, he would kind of pretend like if they got in a fight that he, of course, he wasn't happy about it because he's a Chinese Sifu. His students have to learn to respect the other martial arts. But the moment he heard that his students won, he was secretly pleased, you know? And so it was like, it was okay. The breach of protocol would have only been a big deal if his students had lost. Sure, sure, right, so, exactly. Um, yeah, so it's, it's nice to really get that perspective. And then he also gave me a lot of inside stories on you know this sifu that sifu and some people who are famous nowadays who maybe uh, don't quite have the credentials that that they say they do so it was very interesting like you know kind of sitting back there and, and hearing these things and and uh, and also just you know i would a i ask him like oh what's your opinion on this guy did you know this guy did you know this guy so it's really um really great now one thing i thought was really interesting is uh, i i go to sifu chen chi man's home uh, I've been there a few times already and every time I go there there'll be like a couple new photos that he throws on the wall like recent stuff right he's got his old stuff with Yip Man but occasionally be some new stuff so Chan Chi Man right now I think is the most senior student of Yip Man in Hong Kong alive right now Wow. Um, because all the you know all the guys who were senior to him, Leung Sung, Choi Sung Tin, Wong Sun Leung, those guys, they've all passed away, unfortunately. So right. um, I believe, of course, William Cheung actually started Wing Chun before Chan Chi Man, but William Cheung doesn't live in Hong Kong. He lives in Australia or whatever. So in terms of like living in Hong Kong, Chan Chi Man right now is like the most senior student of Grandmaster Yip Man alive. And um, there's a photo I saw on his wall which was really interesting. Um, it was taken, it must have been taken recently, let's say last year sometime or something like that. And all of the students of Yip Man who are still alive, all of them, they were like all at a restaurant. And uh, there were a couple grands, like like Wen Kam Leung, who's actually Wong Chun Leung's student, was also there. So they were like, let's just say the seniors of the Wing Chun circle, not just Yip Man students. Sure. They were all at the table. They were all standing up. And Chan Chi Man was sitting down. And it was like, wow. yeah, it was like he was sitting there. And everyone, including my former teacher, Leung Ting, they were all standing up around Chan Chi Man. And it was like, oh, so he is now like the bona fide OG yeah. in Hong Kong right now. And 
for some reason, man, uh, I'm sure you scratch your head about it, Sean. For some reason, he really likes me, man. <laughs> he just like he loves having me around. And he loves telling me stories, and and so I, I'm definitely gonna take <laughs> definitely gonna take advantage of it because. Oh, that's awesome, yeah. man! I'm happy for yeah, you. Yeah. Oh, my so, dog's ready to attack someone. <laughs> so that was the main part there. Besides, when we were in Hong Kong, it was super hot. All, uh, Hong Kong in August is super balmy and super hot. So we went to the beach, and you know, you know, we enjoy we enjoyed the kind of the summer atmosphere of Hong Kong as well. And uh, and I had a really great time, kind of showing right, everybody well, everything. Speaking so. about super hot yeah. and Wing, Wing Chun royalty, <laughs> this is leading me to a little side thing, but I got to tell you, okay, I'm not going to name names. But I, I'm, I've been literally, literally laughing out loud about this for a few days. Okay. And I couldn't wait for this podcast. <laughs> There's a Wing Chun person, a Sifu, mm-hmm. who's pretty famous. I'm not going to say he's not on the level of, you know, Chan Chi Man. But this is, a, this is a, a Wing Chun Sifu who has books out there and videos mm-hmm. and who's famous. Okay. Wait, you're not talking. You're not talking about me, right? You're not blowing sunshine up my ass, are you? And then you gotta like make no, fun, this make is fun absolutely not you. Swap live app or something this is like that. absolutely not <laughs> okay, Alex okay. Richter at all I, I whatsoever. Felt, I felt that was being set up there for a moment. <laughs> in fact, this person would probably be the exact opposite in Alex Richter in okay. the contents of of how I'm going to the story I'm going to okay, tell. Okay, all right. So this person uses social media without understanding social media and how it works. And that's a very dangerous thing. Yes. And how you can tell this person uses social media but doesn't understand it, they don't understand that when they like a tweet that someone that they follow on Twitter, Mm -hmm. that it comes up on other people's Twitter feeds, (laughs) blankety-blank likes this tweet. And apparently they have a liking for really skanky upskirt pictures and <laughs> these softcore porn stuff. Wow. And I'm fucking peeing myself on Twitter the other day because I'm rolling through my thing and I see so-and-so likes this tweet and there's like eight of them in the row and it's all this softcore porn Holy and God. I am fucking peeing myself. Wow. Wow, wow. So if you're Sifu folks out there, if you train a Wing Chun and your Sifu's in their 50s and they're relatively famous, I would say 50s, in the 50s, maybe tap them on the shoulder and say, Sifu, I don't know if this is you or not, but... Because, I mean, you just think about it. Like, say like say you join, like, some Wing Chun school, and you're like, wow, my Sifu's fucking famous, dude. Yes. Right? And, like, and like you're training with him, and now you follow him on Twitter... And next thing you know, like he's fucking like liking these pictures of like these upskirt pictures and like down blouse pictures and cleavage shots. And I am fucking rolling. (laughs) I am rolling. It was like I was I was I was at work. I was at lunch and I'm just like going through and I could not stop laughing. Like I was laughing like a fucking mental patient. It was really bad. Funny. Well, it's it, like I follow I follow on Twitter uh, Gary Tonin, who's a, you know, he's like the top of the one of the top of the food chain Brazilian Jiu Jitsu competitors right now, and he's now getting into MMA, and uh, he's from Jersey, and he trains at the Henzo Gracie uh, Academy, and he's like really one of the absolute best jujitsu guys out there now. And he's on Twitter, but he's like hysterical. Like, so he follows 
tons of porn stars and he likes all these tweets where they say like really sassy things but he's a young guy and he's got a sense of humor and, it, and like the tweets that oh he yeah likes, no this is not that he wants, this is you, not he that. wants you to see it because it's super funny right so you want like but you when you see gary tonin like some like totally ridiculous tweet by some porn star right you you know it's funny right it's like and you know he wants you to see that he liked that tweet right but when people don't realize that that's like the unintended consequence right that that you know you're using twitter like at least get another twitter account to look at porn and exactly who goes, right who goes on twitter to look at that stuff it's like you know like seriously you know it's like so uh, I just think that's super funny. And by the way, obviously, we're not going to say the person on air because we don't want him to be embarrassed. But, Sean, you're definitely going to tell me after the podcast who it is, right? <laughs> okay, I'll tell you. <laughs> but that means expect to see it in Inside Wing Chun next month. But <laughs> I'll write about it in my next column in Wing Chun Illustrated. <laughs> <laughs> Wing Chun Illustrated, right. It's, it is so funny. I, I, like I'm saying to myself, like, I almost want to contact a guy and say, like, Dude, like you're kind of embarrassed for him, you know, right? It, it, and I don't like know you him. Feel like you need to protect him, but you just want to go like, dude, like here's a little here's a little bro tip from me, <laughs> like, right? You know, I was like, I, I want to like tell him, like you know, but I don't know the dude, you know, and like, <laughs> like if I knew the dude, like I would I would make you know I don't even know if like if I really knew him that I wouldn't say anything just so I can have something over his head. It's too funny. But it's it's and he likes some skanky shit. Right, right. right. He likes some skanky stuff. It's it's, well, it's, it's actually it's also interesting. It's impressive. It's definitely like a generational cut off where like nowadays because social media, I mean, it, it comes on your phone already. You get a phone, the Facebook app is on your phone already, right? So even the older generation that was like resistant to get on social media, most of them are on there anyway. I mean, my parents are on social media, but there's like a difference because. Um, you know, my father was like big into computers his whole life, so he, he, he kind of moved with the development. But then you have people who, who it totally passed them by, and then they jump on it, and they don't really know how it. Where like my mom was terrible at it when she started. Like she would like post, you know, stuff that should be like a direct message. She'd post on the wall. My mom still does yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and then but like you know, but my mom learned right, and and, yeah. and you know the thing with a lot of older people was the all caps, like you know, right, yeah, 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 uh, which is kind of ridiculous. Like at some <laughs> point, somebody would say, you know, when you write in all caps, it just looks like you're screaming like a crazy person, and so uh, yeah, it, it's funny. It's, it's you... funny to see like them learn how to use it, and then some of them just never learn how to use it, and then some people just. <laughs> intentionally use it in a very very funny way like again it always for me the iron sheik on twitter is the most it's funny the most boss of all twitter accounts right i remember one time my mom with the whole aol instant messenger thing i remember my mom one day i'm at work and i get like this instant message pops up on my screen of my job and it's all caps and it's like i'm so frustrated what's wrong mom i can't get online I can't do anything to get online. Like, Mom, if you're reading this, you're online. <laughs> I don't know how to put it any other way. <laughs> like, that is but so uh, this is so funny because, like I said, like, listen, you know, guys out there, I'm a guy. We all look at Instagram models. We all, of course. Every, but this is some skanky stuff. This is like stuff where, like, you should keep this stuff hidden. Right, right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, it's one thing you like, like Kim Kardashian's, like, you know, ba- bathing suit photo, whatever. Right, right, like, right. No, oh, oh, this is something really specific. <laughs> this is something really. He, he's got a kink, and it's pretty funny. Wow, I'm like, I'm laughing. Funny. Uh, you, also, oh, you, God. you also told me before we started recording today, there's a, uh, there's a thread on your forum on Facebook, some, some JKD thread. Uh, oh, want, yeah, yeah. I want to talk, talk about, about, since we're talking about social media a little bit. So for those that don't know, I run a, uh, a Facebook group about um, Wing Chun and Jeet Kune Do. Probably more focused towards Jeet Kune Do because that's my primary training. But there's a lot of Wing Chun people, and it's a pretty popular group. We have upwards of 8,000 members in the group. And um, well, there's a good thread going on right now on something. So when we had the Steve Golden interview here on the podcast, Steve talked about a training method that I just flippantly called on the thing kind of like chi sao without touching mm-hmm. and um a, a person who's a fan of the podcast and is a member of the group started asking a lot of questions about chi sao without touching he started sending me a lot of messages nice guy nav naveen his name is um, i fact, i was just on the phone with him for almost an hour probably really good guy and he 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 posted a question like about you know chi sao without touching what is it and things to that effect and I want to talk about it just a little bit. I use the term chi sao without touching because when you, when you talk about chi sao, and I'm talking in generality, so a lot of people may do it differently. I'm just, you know, I'm not saying this is the, the definition of chi sao, okay? When you talk about chi sao, it's a lot of, a lot of people relate it to uh, a tactile awareness, right? So the, there's pressure on my arm. I, I feel the pressure. So in chi sao, if I was rolling from Tan Sao to Bong Sao, and I felt as I gave pressure, I got a lot of pressure back, I could know that the next time I roll up, and if I gave pressure, I should expect to get that pressure back, and I could use that pressure against my opponent somehow. I could co- like collapse it and, and, and enter or whatever, just I could use that pressure that I'm expecting from my opponent or training partner in case of Chi Sao against them. Steve teaches something that I call chi sao without touching, just because I was trying to think of a description, as a way of using and pressuring your opponent without touching them. So if you think about it like coming at somebody at an angle, hard in on them, so they now have to do something to deal with that entry, and then they change, They however they're going to and then you change in relation to their change, that you're, it's still an awareness being trained and a way of dealing with pressure, but in a non-tactile way. And in JKD, we, we discuss things like um, distance timing and rhythm, and this idea of moving around in a certain way to manipulate how your opponent deals with your movements and then capitalizing upon how he does it. So one of the things we like to do is like, say if I want to get somebody in the corner, I um, get them, get them in an uncomfortable position, get them in bad footing. If I like attack at their center and then come at an angle, it's like how they move, how they move their feet, things like how they deal with that, that you can then capitalize upon that movement. So that's what I, I call chi sao without touching. I don't know why I call it that. Because I kind of caused this whole like Steve Golden kept a secret thing for 40 years, but it's not. It's just ah, a way of training. 
And if you're into Kundo, if you're into Wing Chun, if you're into learning about Chi Sao and sharing, I really would like it if you guys can join the group and take part in all the threads because it's, it's becoming really popular. We have a lot of really cool people posting. Um, Steve Golden posts on a regular basis, a Bruce Lee student. Um, Moxie Funao is posting in really? there. It's, um, he joined the group. You know, like what is it? He posts these awesome videos, and um, but this this idea of chi sao without touching is, is it's becoming a really interesting thread, and I think a lot of our listeners would enjoy uh, taking part in it and reading it. And I just wanted to mention it a little bit. Well, that's really interesting. Uh, I actually teach something very similar. We call it air chi sao. <laughs> they, uh, so there you go. Like, and I swear to God, like Alex and I have never spoken about this. So, um, and it's in a very specific situation um, because um, uh, Wing Chun, as it was kind of traditionally taught, was very, um, you know, traditionally Wing Chun fought in a very classical way. You put your hands in front of you, your opponent is in some kind of stance, and when your opponent comes, you, you know, you go forward and close the gap and apply your Wing Chun techniques in some various form or another, right? And um, nowadays, um, one of the things that had to be modified in Wing Chun, not because of the prevalence of kickboxing or something like that, but because self-defense situations, which is really Wing Chun's wheelhouse, are different you know you, you don't get challenged by somebody who goes into a double mantis hook and then decides to attack you and then you just use your bongs out and punch him or something like that right nowadays people they, they get in your face they shove you they push you fights start from talking from talking shit you know in right. front of somebody so the problem is when you're already within the range where essentially anybody who throws the first punch is going to win that fight you can't stand with your hands in front of you like this in the middle waiting because the dude just gives you a hook and you get knocked out. So one of the things that um, Sifu Kanspeck did in Germany, uh, he changed it in 2000. I thought it was really brilliant. He made a, a dichotomy between classical Wing Chun and self-defense. So classical Wing Chun being, okay, this is more like the archetype for a challenge fight. Okay, I'm a Wing Chun person and you're whatever. Okay, and now we go at it. But in a self-defense situation, the dude's just in your face, screaming, pushing, shoving, takes a swing. And, and in reality, there is not much of a pre-fight ritual in terms of dancing, going back, fighting measure, those kind of things in straight self-defense. It just, the dude just grabs you, takes a swing, and before you know it, you're fighting, right? So what he did was, is he took uh, an idea from a famous British bouncer by the name of Jeff Thompson. And he created something called the fence. So this was Jeff Thompson's thing. He was a traditional martial artist who was a very famous bouncer in the UK. And he modified his traditional martial arts to be more street effective. And one of the things he did was essentially put his hands up in kind of a, almost in a non-threatening way. Like you're kind of like, hey, dude, take it easy, man. Like I don't want any trouble. But what you're doing is you're creating a physical barrier in front of you, but it doesn't necessarily look martial, awesome. right? And that physical barrier is nothing more than, in our case for Wing Chun, a thinly disguised Bai Zhong position. It just looks like this. And then, of course, according to how your partner has their hands, so if they have their hands wide, your fence is like air chi sao mirroring their arms. If they have one hand down, you might have one hand down and one hand up so that they always feel if they were to just straight throw a punch, they're always kind of going through your arms. So they have to find another way, which gives you more to read. So um, and, and this is kind of what we call an active or sorry, a passive fence, 
where you just have your hands up, the dude is talking, and then you try to do it in a way where they don't realize you're doing it to them. Like they lower their hands, you lower your hands, like, oh man, look, nobody wants any trouble. He raises it, hey, take it easy, take it easy. However, they move their hands, you're kind of air. And I gave it the term air cheese cell, right? So that, that we do it specifically for self defense. That's just awesome because, like, it just goes to show you, like, that principles are principles and things that make sense, things that make sense. Yes. So, like, long, long time ago, when I was teaching straight Jeet Kune Do, and before I even, like, told people I trained at Wing Chun, I had, I changed what I was doing. I was calling it combative solutions. And I was trying to get into more, trying to understand and get into and train into more a self-defense situational type uh, environment rather than a sport environment or a classical environment. Right. I wanted more of a self-defense type situation. Um, and we had something we called, you know, I, my, I have my, one of my best friends on this earth is a gentleman named Walt, and he's a retired police officer, and I still train with him today all the time. He's just an awesome person, and he's just an encyclopedia of violence. His <laughs> understanding of violence. violence. And we, we in, in coming up with things, we, we had what we called, and this is not like an official term for it or anything, it was, like, it was just something we called it, we called it NARS, N-A-R-S, a non-aggressive ready stance. Uh -huh. a great idea. It was just like, a, and we tried to come up with this idea of a movable non-aggressive ready stance how can we be ready without looking aggressive mm -hmm. and and just how you were describing about kind of half mirroring our opponent's actions not following him because you don't want to follow the hands right. but you kind of like 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 we, we we ended up discussing things like like in football terms of like a zone defense versus man to man did you want to work this hand to this hand or does this hand just work the side of the body you know, because what if, like, a guy crosses your center? Does your hand cross center? And this whole idea of non-aggressive ready stance. And the other thing about it, and just like you said, how fights today start from a conversation. Or you're, you're, you're looking through a magazine at Barnes & Noble and the jerk-off next to you just fucking, hey, you bumped into my girlfriend and throws a punch. Right. So this idea of situational awareness and um, scenario-based training. Where you would, you would think when you're dealing with grown-ups, you shouldn't have to say like, oh, well, be careful walking through the park at night. But you know what? You do. Yeah. You know, because people kind of live in their own worlds. We all live in our own worlds. Now, we felt we, in talking to people that came to start training with us, we realized that there was basic common sense things that, thank God, people didn't know. When I say thank God, meaning that they lived a life that's been nonviolent, so they've been able to live in this life, but we wanted to make them a little more aware of things. And we would literally be in the, in the basement, training in the basement, and I would say, okay, you're gonna walk across the basement as if you were walking across the street. Mm. And we would say like, uh, you know, we have, have one of your training partners walk up, just ask you what time it is. And you see the guy like, glance at the watch or take out their phone, and once they look at it, the, then that's when, they, that's when your training partner would attack you. Right. Because you didn't have a situational awareness. Yeah. You know, there, there was this idea of, and, and we worked on that kind of thing. And, and it's going to sound crazy, but the reason I ended up getting away from that 
an old, and I kick myself for it because it probably is something that I uh, should investigate more and spend more time with, is that community I ended up not liking. Mm. The, the community of this reality-based street self-defense, yeah. Yeah. I ended up not liking the community. And I shouldn't say that online, but I did, so fuck them. Um, I, I ended up, because they, they, they live in a world that I don't want to live in. Yeah, yeah. They're too scared. Yep. So th- th- you kind of have to find the happy medium. Right. You know, I can't walk around in a world, am I in code orange or code red right now? Yeah. Like, 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 I literally had one guy who, who, like, started speaking to me in those terms. Oh, you had to see, I walked into the store and I immediately went from code orange to code red. And, and I'm like, what the fuck are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, like, yeah, you, yeah. Know, you know. You know. So uh, you have to find this happy medium right. in life that, you know. Yeah, you know what? I totally agree with you. Actually, it's funny. I've had this conversation before. I don't think we ever had that conversation, but I also am really skeeved out in general by the reality-based martial arts community because, um, again, it's like if you really – you can totally go down the rabbit hole of reality-based martial oh, arts yeah. very easily. Be, and then, like – and I have, I have all the books on that stuff. Like, I, I have read all the books from – you know, all from like the Israeli special forces and the Krav Maga guys to like the um, organized chaos and all, all those kind of things, right? And you look at right, it. Right, and there's some really good martial artists doing there's, this. We're not. Look, there's fantastic stuff in there. So some of those right. reality based martial artists, they have, um, you know, especially the ones that are really based on what works when your body is getting that adrenaline dump, you know, things that are really simple right. and Absolutely straightforward. Absolutely agree. Um, no, technique-wise, there's a lot of really great stuff out there. There's Conceptually, there's a lot of really great stuff out there. But the problem is it's kind of like if you look at it as a continuum and a spectrum, it's like many people who do kung fu, they, they do it and then they get so caught up in the, in the hierarchy and the seafood title and then the wearing the Chinese clothes and then you got white dudes wearing the, the long dresses everywhere and like, you know, acting like they're Chinese and that, and it's kind of like, oh, that's the unfortunate package that comes with Kung Fu, right? Well, when you want to just learn reality-based self-defense, it's like at some point you're going to be walking around in fatigues and army boots, constantly discussing what code you're in. And right. then you have to wonder, at what point did that actually make your quality of life suffer instead of improving it? It's like people went to learn martial, go to learn martial arts, let's say to learn self-defense because they feel that they don't know how to defend themselves and they want to know something. And then they go to one of these reality-based places and they get so scared and they get so paranoid that now they just go down the street that they go down every day and they're every little rustle of the leaves their hands are up and they're moving and then you really wonder, and they got 16 knives they got one hidden around their neck and one in yes, each pocket yes and 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 the thing is and i and look if people live in certain neighborhoods where that's super prevalent like, i understand it look i'm a white guy and i live in astoria queens in a very nice neighborhood like i get it like I don't live in the neighborhood that some people live in. I'm not trying to say that it's like, oh, people should see it from my situation. But I know people who live in very fine neighborhoods who are absolutely paranoid because they do commando jitsu or whatever the hell it's right. called. And, and, and they're like, you know, oh, well, oh, what? How, how does Wing Chun address multiple attackers with weapons? Like, and, and, and what do you do if the guys get the... And it's like, oh, man, please. You know, it, it's like... 
I'm not even thoroughly convinced that if you spent all your time thinking about this stuff that you're necessarily really going to be able to pull off the right thing when it happens, you know? Right. I mean, two of my favorite, like, quick stories about this is, like, from that time period in my life was I went to a reality-based seminar and this guy walked in and and the, the guy who was teaching the seminar went up and barked at him. Who told you you can wear that beret? And he the, the kid went, oh, I'm sorry. And he ripped the beret off his head and jammed it in his pocket. He goes, I, I apologize. I, And he's like, you have to earn that. And, and I remember saying to someone else, like, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> and he said, oh, only people that are certified in his organization are allowed to wear the red beret at his seminars. Mm, mm. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, they sell those. Like you can buy them anywhere. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, like I can see like if you were trying to portray, like if it had like the school insignia right, on it right. and you were trying to portray it as a rank. Yes. Okay. This was just a regular fucking beret. Yeah. Like, it was a beret, and, and it was obviously, everybody in the room was trying to look like they were in the military, and I assure you, none of them were yeah, in the fucking military. Yeah, that's also the thing about that, too, right? Yeah. It's like, they all walk around and act like they're in the fucking military, and you know what? They have, the government provides organizations for you to join if you really want to be in the military. It's called the military. <laughs> and, 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 and jerk-offs that walk around dressed like they're in the military and have never served in our military... Are by definition jerk offs, yes. so I can't deal with that. Yeah. And I heard the little story, and I know I told this one this story once before on the podcast, but fuck you, you're gonna have to hear it again. Is a long time ago, I logged on to an internet forum. By the way, kiddos, before we had Facebook, the internet used to have forums, which were places that people of a community can get together and and, and discuss uh, whatever the forum was about. And before that and time, we used to just meet with each other. <laughs> and talk before the internet. <laughs> exactly right. But the, so one time I remember logging onto some uh, reality-based uh, forum and uh, there's a thread going. It says, um, one, of big guy, one of Big Sean's guys kicks the shit out of, and it says a, a reality-based uh, teacher's name. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what the hell? And I click on it. So, he, so it turned out there was no, nobody kicked the shit out of anybody, but... And what happened was, it was a buddy of mine, who was never my student, he's just a buddy of mine, and he's a boxer, wore one of my t-shirts to a reality-based seminar in Manhattan, in the city. And the teacher, who was some jerk-off from Canada, while at lunch break, walked up to my friend and slapped him in the face. Slapped him. So my friend stood up and said, what the fuck are you doing? And he said, oh, I'm just trying to show you you weren't ready. Now, my buddy is also, I would say, a pro-am level boxer. So he said, well, I'm ready now, motherfucker. Hit me again. And the teacher was like, no, you don't understand. I'm trying to teach you something. I'm trying to teach you that you weren't ready. And my friend said, and I'm trying to teach you something. You ain't ready for me. Hit me again. <laughs> and this reality-based street self-defense tough guy with his 
camouflage outfit on and his combat boots and his beret and kind of like half wet himself and gave my buddy his money and told him to never come back to the seminar again. And it goes, like, that whole community is just chock full of assholes. Yeah. And, and I feel bad because there are some guys on there that really knew that know their stuff. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, like there's it, one guy, you know, Rich, Richard Dimitri. It's definitely a product that, that deserves to exist. No one is disputing right. that. It's just a matter but of... But, man, they the live in a yeah. world yeah. that's like they want to be military and, and they want to live... And, and I don't know if they want to live in fear, but they live in a fearful... Yeah. They live in a fearful life. It's and super. it's... It's really bad. It's really, and I listen. We didn't start this podcast to shit on anybody, but that community has to kind of police itself, just like just like classical martial arts have sure. to police itself. Because sure. we have guys like you said walking around, you know, white guys dressed like Chinese people, yeah. and and it's and and that's ridiculous. That community is dangerous in that it becomes this paramilitary, antisocial, angry community when people let fear dictate their lives right. and that's just not healthy on any level well and that's again now and that's one of the beauties i think of your school you know is that you kind of have that nice touch of classical martial arts boxing gym atmosphere yeah. where i think it kind of gets curbed like you know like so many i almost said the word traditional classical wing chun schools you know, don't have any of that gym atmosphere. So it gets into that whole Chinese rabbit hole. Like, you know, like uh, I'm, 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 I'm a white guy in Chinese clothes. Right. The boxing gym type atmosphere, I think, curbs that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what keeps you and your students healthy. Right, right. You know what I mean? Because like, you look at the pictures online and you guys are just like, it looks like, a, you know, normal people, yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the atmosphere is a big deal, too. I mean, the, the one thing what's interesting is it, it seems to be the trend towards the same thing. Like in the, in the 80s, fitness was all about bodybuilding. And nowadays, it's all about functional strength training, CrossFit stuff, doing stuff, you know, whole action movements, right? As opposed to just doing bicep curls or whatever. It's like now if, if bros want to have bigger biceps, they do pull-ups. They don't do bicep curls. Like that's kind of the thing. And it, and it seems like a similar thing happened in martial arts. It's like, you know, whereas in the old days, it was all about what secret techniques, what belt did you have? And now it's about, you know, um, have you really, you, you know, are you doing functional martial arts, right? And then the all question right. is, of course, what does that actually mean? And also functional for what? What's functional for self-defense doesn't work in the ring. I mean, like when you hear a lot of these people getting uh, upset about each other, it's like a lot of stuff that works in the ring does not work in the street and stuff that works in the street does not work in the ring. And these are different things. But I remember in the 80s when I did karate, this was way before like the military styles became a big thing. Like nowadays, <laughs> it's like if you live in fear, you can train how to get out of that fear. But in the old days, it was assumed if you were like a black belt in karate, you had no fear because you were a black belt in karate. You know what I mean? Right, so exactly. I remember uh, the karate school I went to before I did Taekwondo in New Jersey, which was a karate and judo school. And the judo portion, it's so funny because in hindsight, I may have said this before, I totally wish I had done judo instead of karate when I was younger. Like, right, you know, sure. I, was, I was like, what do I want to do, punch or kick or, or just 
grab somebody by the lapel and throw them, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, dude, I want to kick and punch, right? Now, in hindsight, I'm like, dude, you should have learned judo, man. <laughs> like, you should have done judo Right, exactly. First. Probably. Because you learn judo first, you can do all that stuff. Then you can learn to punch and kick. It's not a problem. So, um, anyway, uh, my karate instructor one day came. I remember because back in those days, there were no such thing as kid classes. I trained with adults. I got kicked in the head sure. by adults. Like, And I remember standing there, and he says so-and-so is not going to be training at our school anymore. You know, in hindsight, my first karate instructor reminds me a lot of that Ameridote guy. <laughs> like <laughs> Master Ken, except he didn't teach, like, ridiculous self-defense shit. He just taught karate, but he, he kind of was the same thing. And he, I remember one day he came in, he was like, um, so-and-so is not going to be training with us anymore because uh, so-and-so, uh, whoever he was talking about was like a brown belt, right? Like almost black belt. And then he said, um, because the other night we, we did a test, to make sure that, you know, so-and-so was on the path to become a black belt. And so he basically said, and again, this is my 32-year-old, 32-year recognition, uh, recollection of this story. Right. So the, for sure, some of the details are fuzzy. This is what my eight-year-old brain remembered. Uh, they wanted to test to see if this brown belt was like, you know, had the stuff. So they waited outside, like in the parking lot at nighttime, and then like basically scared the person, like kind of like jumped out um, from behind the car and went like, oh, and like grabbed to see what the person would do. And the person just freaked out. Like, you know, it was like, whoa, like oh, didn't God. know. And then they were like, that person wasn't ready. They're not training here anymore. And I remember the moment I heard that, I was so fucking terrified because I thought they would do the test to me <laughs> someday, right? right? So then I was like, I remember I used to walk out of that karate school with my hands like up and I was like looking around and stuff. And then in hindsight, it's totally ridiculous because it's like, look, if you expect people to be, what is that, code red, code orange? I don't remember anymore. It's been a while since I read the, the threat levels book. Right. But if you want some, if you say like, all right, to be a black belt, you got to be somebody who's like this. You would assume that this is something that they discuss and that they train and do scenario based training. But they literally took somebody who just went to class twice a week for six, seven years, got their brown belt and just scared the fuck out of them in the parking lot. And it's kind of like, oh, you're not up to it. It's like, well, then I think right. you did a that's poor disgusting. job preparing that person. Right. And, and right. so like as a kid, I was like, whoa, that's hardcore. As an adult, I go, that was ridiculous. That was right, absolutely exactly. ridiculous, right? And so, uh, yeah, and, and now you see then some 30 years later, the, the outgrowth of that is you can totally train to be fearless. As long as you wear these fatigues in a beret and you train on this dummy and punch and do headbutts and, and fight with no mercy and bite and claw your way out of every situation, you know? And, and then that's kind of like, like the pendulum in terms of trends always swings so violently from one side to the other. You know what I mean? It's, it's like so. Oh, I mean, I, listen, I know. I, I still got my ninja outfit from the 90s. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I, uh, um, uh, I told you I have like a, a rather large collection of old magazines. It's not the biggest collection of old martial art magazines, but I got, you know, I got a couple from the 70s and 80s. And I took it out of storage because we got a bigger house. We didn't need a storage unit anymore. And I spent the last couple of weeks organizing them, like uh, putting them in order by year and putting them in folders and stuff. And just like so I was like looking at all the old black belt magazines from the 70s and the 80s yeah, well. and just going how different like the scene was in terms of what people believed what was like the cool like what really worked and some of the and some of the headlines of the articles are just so ridiculous you know what i mean like how how, how learning breaking can make you invincible like you know all sorts of like just like <laughs> right. crazy stuff right 
But was do you have any of the old? I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. I apologize. Um, but what's interesting is like I looked at the covers because the, the magazine I have the most of is Inside Kung Fu. And I okay. In, and, and I have a lot of black belt magazines, but it was interesting to see like you know it was all traditional martial arts, traditional martial arts, Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee, traditional martial art, traditional martial art, traditional martial art, grappler, jujitsu guy, kickboxer. Right, and right, then, right. And then and then like you know you you would be very hard pressed to find a traditional martial arts guy on the cover of Black Belt Magazine if they're not a movie star or like famous already for some other reason, you know? And it's very interesting to see how, how all of that is, how all of that has changed, right? You were, you were about yeah. to say something about the old magazine. I was gonna say, do you, do you have any kick magazines? I do, <laughs> I, I have a bunch of those. I inherited those from uh, my, uh, so I had a neighbor in New Jersey that was a black belt in karate, oddly enough, when I started learning. And about four, four or five years ago, I drove back to my old neighborhood in Jersey where I grew up, and that neighbor was still there. And I had not seen that neighbor since 1992. And, and, and that neighbor gave me a bunch of magazines when I was like, oh, you're starting martial arts here. Have a bunch of black belt magazines. And gave me oh, a bunch sweet. of them from the 80s, right? And I read them, and I was so excited. I see this neighbor, you know, some 30-odd years later. And, and I'm like, do you remember me? And like, he, he, he was like, oh, yeah. He's like, you used to live in that house. And he goes, what do you do? I go, I teach martial arts in Manhattan. And he's like, what? Because he was like, you know, him and his wife did martial arts and they gave me that start. And he goes, and, and, and so it was interesting. I go, hey, I've read all those magazines you gave me. I still have them. I still read them from time to time. And then he goes, oh, come inside. And he brought me into his house, which I hadn't been in for many years. And he goes, my wife is trying to get me to get rid of these. And I didn't want to. And he gave me three boxes of his old martial art oh, magazines that's awesome. from the 70s and 80s. And it had all, because I never bought Kick Magazine, but it had like Kick and Karate and all those like. Kick Magazine was my favorite that, magazine. You know, like the, the non-Inside Kung Fu, Black Belt, yeah. they were like, they were always the dominant ones, but you had like Kick. And then there was like, uh, like a, uh, there was Karate Illustrated. There were like a karate, few other ones. Karate Kung Fu Illustrated. Yeah, and, and so like, so I basically inherited a bunch of those old ones like four years ago just by seeing my old neighbor by chance. So, uh, yeah, shout out to Yeah, Link Kick Coffee Magazine <laughs> was my favorite magazine when yeah. I was younger. I used to love was Kick the, Magazine. Was the Kick Magazine the one where you showed me the interview when I was at your place last time um, where Dan and Santo talked about Steve Golden and the whole Nunchaku thing? Right, so you broke up a little bit on that, but the um, the magazine I just got is the um, Steve Gold. It was it was an interview with Dan and Asanto. Right. It was an article about Dan and Asanto, and it's a, so a little known fact. And this is going to piss off a lot of people, but so Bruce Lee learned about the nunchucks from Dan and Asanto. Dan and Asanto learned nunchuck. From Steve Golden. <laughs> Steve Golden learned about the nunchuck when he was in the Marines. He was in the Marine Corps, and he was stationed in Okinawa. And while in Okinawa, learned martial art and learned nunchuck. Came back, started training with Guru Dan in uh, Shotokan, you know, in um, Parker Kempo, and said, "Oh, by the way, hey, check out these things I learned in Okinawa." these nunchucks and show Dan the nunchucks. Dan and Asanto then showed Bruce Lee. So when you watch Enter the Dragon and Bruce Lee's playing with those nunchucks and Enter the Dragon, he knows them because of Steve Golden. 
Now, I'm sure he would have learned them some other way, but that's how he learned of them. And I think that's pretty fucking cool. And I have the magazine that... Uh, yeah, it's in an interview. Dan Asanto talks about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So he's, he's admitting that that is, in fact, a story. Yeah, I don't know if he still admits that, but back then he did. <laughs> But the kick, that Kick magazine had this awesome feature in it. It was like seven styles against, and it would say like seven styles. It was like called comparative styles, and it would be like seven styles against the John Wayne punch, seven styles against a front kick, and they would have like some like like some person throwing a front kick, and you saw like some Taekwondo guy dealing with it, and Dan Asanto dealing with it, and Jikundo. And a, a jiu-jitsu guy dealing with it, and a kung fu guy dealing with it, and I thought that was the coolest awesome. thing in the world. That's totally awesome. And, and the next time we get together, you got to bring me a Kick magazine just to look at it. I, I won't steal it, I promise, but I got to check it out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I have uh, at least mm, ten or twelve of them. Yeah. Oh, and, and one of them they're gonna have that because I know they had that that feature for the longest time. Right. It was, you know, like, uh, it was just, and it was just the best thing in the world. It was just awesome. Wow. That's really fantastic. Actually, speaking of Bruce Lee, when I was in Hong Kong, I picked up a new Bruce Lee book. Um, before, uh, before I went to Hong Kong, obviously, you know, we talked a lot about uh, Matt Polly's new um, yeah, Bruce yeah. Lee biography, which is fantastic. I also interviewed Matt Polly for this podcast. Um, but there's an, a new Bruce Lee book, but it's not, um, it's not a robust, deep dive like Matt Polly's biography was. It's actually... <laughs> Um, it's actually a picture book, so you would you might even enjoy it, Sean. It doesn't have that many words. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Dick. <laughs> so um, what's interesting is uh, an, uh, the photographer for Golden Harvest. Um, they they had a few photographers at Golden Harvest that shot a massive amount of photos of Bruce Lee, and I don't know if you ever noticed, Bruce Lee for the time period he lived in was a massively photographed person, like heavily oh, yeah, photographed. Oh yeah, true, like, right. People didn't take photographs that often back then, but Bruce Lee, even before he was famous, during his childhood and also during his time in the States, like when he wasn't even famous, he was in a lot of photos. And I think sometimes I'm like, I can't possibly be missed. There, there can't possibly be a Bruce Lee photo I haven't seen yet. And something will come out and I'll be like, well, I haven't even seen this, right? And so um, uh, a famous collector in Hong Kong by the name of Mguai Long. Mguai Long is a famous stamp collector in Hong Kong, but he loves Bruce Lee. He, he made a collection of all of these golden harvest photos. So these were photos that were shot when Bruce Lee made those movies at the end of his life. And these are, these are photos that are from like rare publicity stills, behind the scenes stuff. Many cool. photos you haven't seen before, and since it's from the original negatives, the book is a huge. It's like it's a huge. It's a heavy, huge format book where they'll have like one or two spre uh, page spreads where it'll just be these Bruce Lee photos in tremendous detail, stuff you haven't seen before, and really amazing stuff. And I, I had a chance to meet the author, and he gave me a gave me a copy and signed it. And he has two books. It's got the one bigger picture book. Um, and then it's got a smaller one which has like fan memorabilia and stuff in there. Really, really, really fantastic. And it's just, I suppose that's one good thing about the digital age is as this stuff gets uncovered, people can put it out right away. So it's like, you know, we don't have this problem like in the 70s where it was like you didn't have access to all these materials because they were sitting in a vault somewhere. Now, like all this stuff is coming out and uh, it's, um, it's a nice thing because you can see all these these. Uh, th these beautiful things and also my friend um, Bay Logan uh, just wrote a uh, a new book about Hong Kong action cinema 
It's called uh, oh, 36 nice. cha- yeah, 36 chambers of uh, 36 chambers of kung fu, I think it is, or 36 chambers of action cinema, 36 chambers of kung fu. And um, it's volume one. So he does 18 movies in the first volume, and then he'll do 18 in the second one. And these are like the quintessential 36 films you have to see. So um, for people who because I get this question all the time, like from people who didn't grow up with Kung Fu movies, they're like, what should I watch first? And I used to give them like kind of a list like, okay, you should see this and then see this. And this will give you a nice kind of broad smattering of what you should see. And now I'm just going to tell people do get Bay Logan's book. Because right. it'll tell you what movies to see, and it'll tell you the significance behind it. Like it's it's got um, uh, Fist of Fury and Angela Mao's Broken Oath and Prodigal Son, the Wing Chun film, and Magnificent Butcher, and and all these really great films. And Bay, because he lived in Hong Kong for so many years and worked with many of those guys, he tells these background stories, and he even tells background stories about Leung Ting, who was famously one of the. Uh, choreographers for uh, five deadly venoms and got in a bit of a spat with the uh, actor lo mong and then he actually talks about all that stuff in there so there's like there's lots of juicy details about what went on behind the scenes and he talks a lot about wing chun and he also gives me a total shout out at the beginning of the book too with david peterson no less so it was like nice it it was kind of weird to see like it was like you know, and for three, three of my favorite martial heroes was Alex Richter, David Peterson, and Ron Wheeler. And just to see my name like in that list, uh, in a in a book about Hong Kong cinema was 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 a really big deal. So, um, yeah, it was a, a lot of fun. So I br- I burned through that book really quickly, and um, so there's a lot of yeah, a lot of really good, interesting, uh, interesting reads out there. Um, we were also talking about it. Perhaps this is the last thing we'll talk about today. Um, I'm writing a new book which is the 15 Chi Sao Fundamentals. It's a new tutorial book series. And uh, you, you made a joke before we talked. You're like, oh, I thought there were 16, right? <laughs> and I kind of laughed because um, actually the 15 Chi Sao Fundamentals is not something that is standard in Leung Ting Wing Chun. Leung Ting uh, for double arm Chi Sao taught, you know, Pun Sao, rolling hands, and then had a progression for all the uh, double-handed Chi Sao movements. What I did is because I teach it on such a large scale, I streamlined the foundational training to be the most essential things people need to know first. And so I wrote that book and then you said, oh, so you basically talked about, well, this is not exactly the way Leung Ting teaches it. I go, no, 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 this is Leung Ting's Wing Chun, but it's the way I teach it. It's a more streamlined way. It's a modern take on Leung Ting's old program. And then we discussed that um, some people don't like that, you know, like when you tell them like, oh, no, this is not the thing I got from Leung Ting. This is actually the thing. I developed myself, people are like, oh, and they give you kind of that look like, oh, well, I'm not really interested if it didn't come from like the Chinese guy or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Which of that course, happens to me all the time. Which, of course, for me is bizarre because uh, Grandmaster Yip Man is probably the one who changed the teaching program more than anybody in the history of Wing Chun Kung Fu, right? He re-edited the forms a number of times and changed the chi cell progression and taught this guy this thing and that guy that thing, right? It's natural that every Sifu that understands the system to any great degree would want to improve it for future generations. But there's a certain contingency that thinks that somehow uh, that's bad. I mean, like, and you don't have this problem in boxing or jiu-jitsu or any other martial art, but for something about traditional Chinese martial arts, if uh, your Sifu taught three techniques first and you decided, I'm only going to teach these two, but make sure they're really good. And I'll teach the third one later, but I'm going to teach another one before because it makes more sense. Oh, well, uh, that's just heresy. How can you do that? Right. 
So um, you had mentioned that you you also had some similar thing. With oh, people. absolutely. I've had guys who train with me. And so primarily I have, when it comes to uh, classical martial arts, I mean, we're going to call it Jeet Kune Do. I have Steve Golden as my Jeet Kune Do Sifu and friend. And I have Tom Kagan as my Wing Chun teacher, Sifu and friend. And when I would teach like something out of Chi Sao or something to that effect, I've had some students who literally say to me, okay, now did you get this from Steve or did you get this from Tom? Is this, did they, you know, did Steve Golden learn this from Bruce Lee or did Tom Kagan learn this from Moyat? And I would say, no, 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 I was doing Chi Sao with Walt the other day and this kind of came out and it, it, it makes sense. So we're going to try and work on it a little bit. And I would just see their eyes glaze over with non-interest because the technique or strategy or whatever didn't have a lineage that they were impressed with and they just had no interest in doing it and like that would just tell me well just fucking ignore this dude now because you know he doesn't care what you have to say you know and just now and just to have fun with some people this guy i've also had some training very little training but i had some training with um with matt thornton who if you know who matt thornton is I, i i um I used to run a little training group. I was an official training group on the Matt Thornton and Straight Blast Gyms. And Matt was an awesome dude. And just to fuck with people, if I was showing something from Chi Sao and they would say, where'd you learn this from? I would say, oh, Matt Thornton taught me this. Because <laughs> <laughs> Matt Thornton absolutely hated fucking Chi Sao, right? He has absolutely no use for it whatsoever. So I would tell this moron that I learned it from Matt Thornton. And he would say, Really? I didn't know Matt did Chi Sao. Oh, okay. It must be part of the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. You don't know that. People don't know that. <laughs> oh, it's just awesome. That That's is just funny. awesome. That is funny. Yeah, it's, it's strange because, of course, I mean, it, it kind of works both ways. We all know that there are plenty of people in Wing Chun who are not qualified, who have not learned the in, entire system. And even if they haven't learned the entire system, there's some people who really understand Wing Chun thoroughly, even if they haven't learned the knives or the pole. They, they, they understand the fist fighting logic and concept, right? And then there are plenty of people who do some version of the knife form that they taught themselves and they have no idea what Wing Chun is actually about. So it, it's kind of like if we're talking about people who understand the essence of Wing Chun, how it functions as a martial art, how, um, how it should be taught, how it's practiced, so on and so forth. That is the kind of person that you might want to trust if they have an idea of how to maybe do it better. The problem is when you have these guys who just collect videos from YouTube and teach themselves kind of a hodgepodge of stuff. If that guy decides he's going to start teaching this or doing that or whatever, you go, hmm, I would prefer the thing that maybe came from somebody who knew what they were doing. But when somebody knows what they're doing, I'm very interested to see what their own thoughts and ideas are on this thing. Because... That, that is actually the evolution of martial arts. And every martial art has gone under that process. And to think that Wing Chun, you know, somehow, you know, there are Yip Man students that believe that the Wing Chun that they teach is an inerrant museum piece that's exactly the same as when some supposed fairy tale Buddhist nun taught it. They think that they're literally teaching the same thing Every T is crossed, every I is dotted in the same exact way. And I go, you are effing crazy. 
if you could see what Wing Chun looked two generations before Yip Man, if you could go in a time machine and look at it, you would go, that form doesn't look the same. That the, Why are they even training like that? That doesn't even, oh man, that looks kind of weird. Why are they doing it like that? Because everything evolves, even traditional martial arts, even if they don't want it to, you know? And many people have changed stuff and they tell their students that it's from their Sifu because they don't want to be blamed for changing right, something right. or being exactly. non-traditional. So, you know, like we all know about a, a famous student of Yip Man who claimed after Yip Man died that he learned something that only he learned or whatever. And this is an un, unfalsifiable claim. It's literally impossible to prove and or dispute, right? So... This is a thing that everyone does, even if they don't do it with the entire style. They do it with a move here. They do it with something here because it's a lot easier than admitting to people, you know what? The way they did it in the 60s worked back then. But nowadays, when you do this against a boxer, this is not the best way to do it. So I have therefore decided it should be done this way because this is my own experience. Ooh, so it's not traditional? No thanks. And you go, ah. You change it and you say, actually, my Sivu in the 60s, he taught me. If you're facing the big guy, you should do it like that instead, the traditional way like that. And the other way you can do like that. So some Chinese guy with an accent said that this is how we do it. Oh, then it's totally fine. It has thusly been legitimized through the filter of some Chinese accent from the past, right? And so that is kind of what ends up happening. People just don't want, even want to admit that they're creative. And they just say that it's some old Chinese guy showed them. And on a passing note, I have a buddy of mine who I had not seen in years. And he was an old martial arts friend of mine from many years ago from when I was teaching in Brooklyn. And he contacted me, and we've been chatting. And he sent me a picture of him and his new Sifu. Okay. And it's this little old Chinese guy. And, and, uh, and he, you know, he says, oh, I've been training, you know, Wing Chun with this gentleman, and it's been amazing, and the other thing. And, and he sent me the picture, and I says, oh, he doesn't look familiar. Who is he? And then he came back, he goes, he doesn't know any Wing Chun. I'm a sanitation man. He sells ice in Chinatown. And I said, hey, can you take a picture of me? Because I want to send it as a joke to my friend. <laughs> he, he says, but it's just so easy. Super He's like, easy. Super easy. <laughs> take a picture with a Chinese guy. You're a master now. Yeah. That's great. That is so fun. It <laughs> was a lot of fun tonight, babe. All right, man. It was yeah, good. It was a lot of fun. Looking forward to doing it again next week. And thank you all yep. for listening. Talk to you later, folks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. Please help us get the word out there by sharing this and other episodes on your favorite social media platforms. If you're enjoying the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast, there are many ways in which you can support it. Go to dudesofkungfu.com slash support to find out how you can help your favorite Kung Fu podcast. We are currently using Patreon to automate great benefits to those who support the podcast. As a supporter of the dudes, you'll get early access to episodes, as well as a number of other benefits based on your donation level. This includes in-depth topic lectures and even monthly live video conferences with the dudes. Again, go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out more about that. As always, you can help support us in small ways as well. Give us a like at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page and share links to episodes. If Twitter is your preferred social media outlet, you can follow the Dudes of Kung Fu there as well. Both Big Sean Madigan and yours truly are on Twitter too. Dudes of Kung Fu is now also on Instagram, so tag it along with the hashtag Dudes of Kung Fu whenever you post something related to the podcast. A great way to support the Dudes is to rate and review it on either the iTunes or Android app stores. 
The written reviews are immensely more helpful than just giving us a five-star rating. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, please write us at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. Please understand that neither Sean nor I can guarantee a response, but we will consider any serious suggestions. And finally, I ask that you help spread an open dialogue with other practitioners of martial arts. Chinese Kung Fu in particular has long since suffered from caustic political discourse, which can only change with you. Remember, the person you wholeheartedly disagree with doesn't love martial arts any less than you do. Take care, and thank you for supporting the Dudes of Kung Fu!